Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading this morning is from the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Almighty and gracious God, we gather with expectant hearts, open ears, watchful eyes, yearning for you to speak to us today. But as you speak to us through the hymns, through the declarations of our faith, through the canticles, through scripture, through the words of the sermon, in the silence of the hour, speak to us so that our lives will be filled with your spirit and transform so that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. Alexander III was one of the more brutal czars of the Russian empire. He was tough, he persecuted those who were against him, He ran a brutal, a brutal regime. But his wife, Maria, was the exact opposite. She was kind and generous, loving and gracious. One day she came upon a prisoner who was sentenced. She looked at his sentencing paperwork and these were the words it said, pardon impossible, comma, to be sent to Siberia. See, that's what Alexander did to his 
worst of enemies, he sentenced them to banishment, exile in Siberia. But she looked at this man and she had compassion upon him. And she took his sentencing paperwork and she got out a pencil and she moved the comma. And now his paperwork said, pardon, comma, impossible to send to Siberia. She changed his life in that one moment, in that one grammatical change, she changed this man's life by simply moving the comma. As the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and to the early church to encourage Timothy in his ministry, he recognizes and admits that his life too was changed all because Jesus Christ moved the comma per se in his life. Christ forgave him for Paul's zealousy, for his foolishness, for his persecution of the early church. But once he came to the faith, he was forgiven and all was forgiven. That he could stand the greatest among sinners, as he writes, he could stand in the faith and the knowledge of God all because Christ came and moved the comma in his life. See, this message hammers away this constant theme of the gospel of pardon, of grace, of forgiveness, of God's love for you and me and the whole world. Think about what we say in our communion liturgy when the officiant starts out the liturgy, it says in the confession of pardon, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In that one instant, all of us are reminded that we are forgiven, but we take it a step further. Remember what you do? You remind the person reading that part of the liturgy that they too are forgiven. We say back to that person, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. So in that one moment, of our communion liturgy, we are all reminded that we are forgiven people, that we are broken people, that we are sinners who fall short of the grace of God, but yet we are forgiven. It's this theme of forgiveness that we share together, is it not? And so as we think about this theme of forgiveness, it really begs the question, what does this really mean? I mean, why should we forgive others? And once we sort of wrestle with that, maybe the question we ask is, well, how do we forgive others? And finally, what does it mean for all of us? Why should we forgive? How can we do it? And what does it all mean? So Bob Welch had a 23-year-old daughter that worked in the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City. And from the moment that that building was bombed and he realized that he had lost his precious daughter, 23 years old, he said, I survived on nothing but pure hate for the perpetrators of this domestic terrorism. Pure hate for those that bombed that building. I sought swift, unrelenting, and violent justice. And that was how he lived. He said, I lived like that for months, for years. He says, but then... I saw it. I saw it the day that they, they interviewed Tim McVeigh's father. He was on TV and I realized this man has lost a child too. 
He said, I had that nagging feeling in my heart for the minute I almost uttered those words that there is something that ties us together. He has lost a child too. There's got to be something different. So he went to the site, trying to make amends, trying to make sense of all that was going on. He went there to the site to try to figure out maybe what was he supposed to do. And as they were beginning to lay the groundwork for the memorial for those victims, he saw the elm tree. The elm tree under which his daughter had partnered cars for so many years, the tree had survived the bombing. It had survived the blast. It wasn't perfect. It had been damaged, but it had survived. As a matter of fact, this tree was beginning to show signs of new growth, of new life. And it was in that moment that he realized the anger and the hatred that he had for Timothy McVeigh would not take his pain away. He began to realize that his anger was really eating him up from the inside. His anger, his frustration, his pain was not going away. It was only festering inside. He wasn't going to change anything. Later, he had a chance to meet Timothy McVeigh's father, and he said, I sat there in the room with him. Man to man, we looked at each other. We realized that we were just average guys who had one thing in common. We were on speakably woven together by this tragedy, but in that moment that we had both experienced great pain, great loss, irreversible damage to our lives and to the world. And what we realized is that we could not change the past, but that we could change the future by the way we would live our lives. He said, so because of that moment, because of the moment with that elm tree, I began to realize that I cannot live my lives embroiled in hate. And that was how I began to make the journey from hate to forgiveness. And to me, that's what that elm tree stands for, he said. So why do we forgive? We forgive because it is good for us. We forgive because what else are we if we let the hate boil in our hearts and consume us and live fully in our lives. The Mayo Clinic did a study a few years ago just trying to figure out what were the physiological, psychological benefits of forgiveness. I mean, I love it when the medical community and science gets around to tackling the things that we talk about in theology and they, all they do is they back into proving that what we know in the Bible, what we know in theology is right. I mean, here's what they say. They say that here's what happens with forgiveness. It brings about healing of your heart. It brings about healing of your lives. It brings about healthier relationships. It's good for our mental health. It lowers our stress. Empirically, they talk about how it improves our heart, the physical organ, but it improves our heart, the metaphorical part of our lives. See, forgiveness is what helps us heal from the very things that have wounded us that have hurt us. Thomas Borga was a revolutionary fighting in Nicaragua's totalitarian regime. He was very much against it. He was always protesting, always working against them. He was finally caught up by the government, arrested and thrown in jail as a political prisoner. But while his time in jail, at one point he was tortured for 500 hours. I mean, imagine that. I mean, tortured for 500 hours. In the end, 
The revolutionaries won. They overthrew the totalitarian government. The political prisoners were free. Thomas was made the minister of the interior, given an important government position. And one day through his work, he found out that one of his chief torturers was imprisoned. So he goes to this man, he walks up to his cell, he looks him in the eye and he says to him, today I'm going to get my revenge from you. Now imagine, you are the man in the cell who has done these unspeakable acts and the person that you have perpetrated them to comes up to you and says, today I'm going to get my revenge from you. What would you expect? Probably not what happened. As soon as he had said that, Thomas reached his hand out to him and he said, this is my revenge. I forgive you. I forgive you. See, if forgiveness is good for us, if it is healing for us, if we say that it's not going to define who we are, if we're not going to allow it to boil in our hearts, then how do we do it? How do we get from being wounded and hurt by the world and those around us to an attitude of forgiveness where we can even look our tormentors in the eye and say, I forgive you? The first is that we've got to have this idea, this, this choice. We have to make a commitment. We have to decide first and foremost that we are going to forgive those that hurt us. We're going to forgive those that have caused damage in our lives. But then once we decide that we're going to do it, it starts us along this journey. The most important part of that is to think about our pain. To think about all of it, all the different ways that we've been hurt, the depth of that hurt. To reach deep into our souls, deep into our psyche, and in a sense, pour that out on the table. It is important for us to acknowledge it, to know it, to feel it, to spell it out. Because once we've done that, once we know the deepest part of that, we begin to take that example that Christ gave. That example of Christ in which we seek this idea of forgiveness, this idea of love deep in our hearts. Once we have poured all that out, there is room for that forgiveness, for God's love to live, and we begin to cast the pain away. Now, I'm not making a lot of this. I'm not saying it's an easy process, but we begin to do it. We begin to let go of that pain, to let it go so that it does not define who we are. It doesn't rule our lives. It doesn't make us the people that we don't want to be. We begin to let go of it because we are better than that, bigger than that, more than that pain. We are God's blessed children. But as we begin to let go of that pain, as we get more and more of it off the table, the final part of how to forgive is we begin to think about those that have caused us that pain. And we begin to pray for them. We don't let their pain hold over us. We pray for them and for whatever they are wrestling with. Now this is not easy. I'll be the first to admit to you, this is not easy and it's not an instantaneous thing, but it's a continuous act of faith, a continuous act of love, a continuous act of intentionality. 
But remember, this is not about them. This is really about us. Because if we can dump that pain out, if we can dump that hurt on the table and then we can let it go, then we can heal. See, to forgive has been working on reestablishing ourselves, healing ourselves, filling ourselves back up with God's love. To forgive is about us and us being our best selves, the people that God created us to be. It's a priest in the Philippines that when he was in college had created a sin, had performed a sin that was grievous upon him. It weighed heavy on his soul, heavy on his heart. He eventually, in the priesthood, had gone into the confessional booth, had made his confession, had received his acts of penance and had gone and performed them, but there was no peace in his soul. He had no sense of God's forgiveness. As it happened in his church, there was a woman who claimed to have conversations with Christ. She claimed to have visions and that she talked to him on a regular basis. But he was skeptical about all of this, about all these stories. But one day, this sense of emptiness, this sense of not forgiveness from God was just wrecking his heart and wrecking his life. And he finally went up to her and he said, I hear you talk to Jesus. Now imagine a priest saying that. I hear you talk to Jesus. I want you to talk to him for me. The next time you see Jesus, I want you to ask him this question. I want you to ask him what sin I committed when I was in college. And she said, I will. Some time goes by and he runs into her again at the church and he says, have you talked to Jesus? And she says, I have. Did you ask him the question I asked you to? She said, I did. What did he say? She said, I asked Jesus your question. And you know what he told me? He said, I don't remember. I don't remember. Too often you and I, we ask for forgiveness. Too often we offer forgiveness. But do we hold on to the pain? Do we hold on to the memory of our sin? Do we hold on to the embarrassment of it? Not letting it go because for some reason we want to nurture that in our souls. See, forgiveness means that we have to nurture something different. We have to let it go. We have to receive God's love and realize that Christ who sees all of our sins but who forgives them and forgets them, we must do the same ourselves. Sure, we learn from our mistakes, but we cannot dwell in the past. We have to live in the future and to go forward. We have to empty out our pain, our embarrassment, to make room for God's love to grow within us. Because the comma was moved and God doesn't remember. Friends, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world and I don't know if you are like me that if you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, today's the day. Today's the day that I'm going to hit all the marks. I'm going to do all the right things. I'm not going to screw up. I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm not going to make any mistakes. Maybe you're like me and you say that every day to yourself. And at the end of the day, if you looked in the mirror again, you didn't do quite as well as you hoped. But see, the great thing about God's grace is that there is forgiveness abound to us. 
if we are willing to confess. There's forgiveness available to us because God loves us and is willing to move the comma. Paul understood that. Paul understood that when he wrote that to Timothy, he said, I am the chief among sinners, but because of God's grace, I can stand before you because Christ moved the comma for my life. C.S. Lewis writes, to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has give, forgiven the inexcusable in us. To be a Christian is forgive the inexcusable in each other because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. What if we lived that way? What if we lived that way where we were willing to forgive because it was helpful to us, where we parked our pain to the winds and we gave it up because we wanted God's love to dwell in our lives? What if we lived that way with forgiveness at first of our hearts because we want to bring out the best in each other to show the world a better way to live? Because that's what Christ wants for us in the end, isn't it? To realize that we are not perfect, that we are forgiven, and that we are to forgive others as well. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.